Now our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 28. We've been working our way through 1 Samuel or we're back into 1 Samuel again. We've, we did this a number of years ago and, and we've picked up the story in the later part of 1 Samuel. So if you've got one of the Bibles in the pews, you'll come to uh, page 300 and you'll find this story of Saul and the witch of Endor, page 300, 1 Samuel 28. This is a a very odd story in many ways, story that uh, lots of folk have struggled to understand. Stafford was kind enough to remind me this week it was the graveyard of many a preacher. So we look forward to hearing this word today. 1 Samuel 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in the one town, in his own, own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and the two men and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life that you would bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up from the ground. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel. He bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to, the one, to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines." Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and night. 
when the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your maidservant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now, please listen to your servant and let me give you some of the food. Let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she slaughtered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Amen. We trust that God will give us understanding of his word to us today. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to that passage we read earlier, 1 Samuel 28, page 300, if you've got a pew Bible. As you're looking that up, let me remind the young adults, 18 to 35s, there's a young adults lunch next Sunday after church. Bring your own lunch and speak to Alwyn or Peter for details of that. So 18 to 35s, young adults lunch next Sunday. So 1 Samuel 28, page 300. We're here about 12 years now. About 15 years ago, we were in the manse in Edge of Bangor. And a family came to live with us for a time. We didn't ask them. Uh, They were a family of mice. And they managed to find their way into the house. And they lived under the floorboards and in the cavities and in the ceilings. And we couldn't get them. And then one day they nibbled their way out into the part of the house where we lived. And they were everywhere. They weren't just a family. They were a whole nation of mice by this stage. And uh, I caught five of them. I went and got a big bucket load of traps and, and I caught about five of them in the space of half an hour. And one of the problems was that Katie was a toddler at the time. And she was a tremendously inquisitive little girl. I, I sat her down and I told her all about the dangers of mouse traps. I told her that if she touched them, they would snap on her fingers. It would hurt a lot. And I made her promise that on no account would she interfere with the traps. And she promised Within about five minutes of me setting the traps, I heard the scream, and in came Katie with a trap firmly attached to her fingers. It would seem that sometimes just telling someone of the dangers of a certain course of action doesn't really do the job. Of course, it's not just toddlers that are like that, is it? It's people, it's us who are like that. At least when it comes to the things that God says, he tells us what is wrong and harmful to us. And yet so often, isn't it true? We just go ahead and we do it anyway. And so in the Bible, we're not only told the things that are wrong and dangerous, we get to hear and to see the stories of people who turn from God and then reap terrible consequences. And we get to see them, as it were, putting their hands into the trap so that we might not follow them. And one of those warning stories is the story of Saul. And we started back into the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to carry on all being well into 2 Samuel. We started back in last Sunday morning. It was a couple of years since we were there before. And we've seen that, that, that Saul is the first king of the Israelites. He started off fairly well, but quickly turned away from God. And he's now spiraling downwards out of control. At the same time, David is on the ascent. He has been earmarked to be the next king. But at this stage, he's still on the run from Saul. In fact, chapter 27 tells us that he's gone to live 
amongst the Philistines, the traditional enemies of God's people, and he's living a sort of a double life there, a very risky strategy. We'll, we'll see a bit more about that eventually. But in chapter 28, the, the, the stories of David and Saul are intertwined, and in chapter 28, the, the focus moves to Saul, and we see here the terrible depths to which he stoops. He's a man who's had many opportunities to trust in God, many opportunities to know God, and yet as the story has progressed, we see that actually he is a stranger to God's grace. In many ways, he is the equivalent in the Old Testament of Judas in the New Testament, someone who has initially the appearance of being a believer, who has many opportunities, and yet as time goes on, his heart is revealed as someone who does not know the Lord. And Saul is like that. He's, he's held up in the Bible as someone that we're to look at and say, look at the terrible consequences of turning away from the living God. And, and don't forget, Saul is within the, the community of faith, if you like. He's part of the visible people of God. He, if you want to put it in our terms today, he's a churchgoer. So this is a solemn warning for all of us this morning. It, it, it may well be that, that we can think of people who who once were, were, were part of the visible church, now have nothing to do with it. And friends, it may be that some of us here today, in the future, could be those sorts of people. Hebrews 3 and 12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's written to the community of faith. Don't turn away from the living God. So this is not just a warning for those out there. We need to constantly be on the lookout for the possibility that we would turn away from the living God. Well, this story helps us to see that the devastating consequences of what would happen if that were the case. And for Saul, we see that it brings despair and evil and death. And that's how we're going to navigate our way through this story today. Despair. Saul is, Samuel is dead. We saw that last time. And, and uh, Saul faces a serious threat from the enemies of the Israelites, the Philistines. The uh, Philistines have led an incursion into the land. There's clearly going to be a significant battle. Saul musters the troops, as is the job of the king. And he sets up camp close to the Philistines. And he sees them and he realizes that they are a really large force. The outcome is by no means certain, and he is afraid. There's this terrible verse in verse 6. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. So Saul wants God's guidance as he has in the past. It's not forthcoming. Samuel the prophet is dead. It seems that the other prophets have no message for him. There is no dream from the Lord. What about these, this Urim? Well, this was a, a special stone. It's an odd part of, of biblical history, but it was a special stone that was in the high priest's garment that was used to discern the Lord's will. And, and uh, God, through it, gave answers to, to his people's request. But, but Saul had killed some of the priests, and, and the remaining high priest had took that and, and had gone uh, to be with David. And so that was not open to Saul either. And as Saul calls out to God, there is no answer from him. God has closed the doors of heaven to him. He has turned away from Saul. Saul, of course, had turned away from the Lord, and now we see 
that God has turned away from him. And as you look at Saul, you just see a man in despair. You see, when God withdraws from a life, what is left is despair and agony. Saul's afraid. He is desperate. He wants God's direction and answer, but he doesn't want God himself. He only wants what God can give him. And God's not prepared to give him that, and so he is a sad and desperate figure. Now, one of the things that we've got to understand is that the blessings and curses of eternity can be felt in this life. Now, for Christians here today, we we know something of that. We we know the, the thought of God's eternal blessings. God has a tremendous inheritance for us in the future. But we know that we get a sort of a down payment of that here and now. We, we are accepted. We are, we are loved. We, we know something of God drawing near to us and blessing us with a sense of his presence. Now, we know that there's much more ahead, but, but at least we get a taste of that, don't we, down here? We know that we're under his care. The blessings of eternity are, are felt in this life. But just as the blessings of eternity are known, so also the judgments of God can be known in part now. For the person who turns away from God, the future holds an eternity of loneliness. God withdraws his presence totally. But that may begin to be felt in this life. It's what Saul experiences here, this soul-destroying sense of being alone in the universe as he's just left to his own devices. So do we see this morning one of the consequences of turning away from God is that there is no peace or joy on that path. The enemy whispers to us, it would be better if you were free from him. He's so restrictive. Go your own way. But that's a path to despair. That's the first thing. Evil, the second thing. Well, Saul does a remarkable thing. He seeks to consult a medium. Now, some of the old translations have a witch. Some, therefore, refer to this as the story of the witch of Endor. Now, Saul has, in one of his better earlier moments, enforced the law of God, had all mediums done away with in the land. The Old Testament law was very clear. Those who practice such things should have been put to death. But when Saul raises it, some of his men know exactly where to find such a person at Endor, and Saul disguises himself and goes to her. Now, I don't know what you think about such things. Maybe you think it's just a lot of superstition. There's nothing to it. Well, we know that the Bible prohibits it, but let's be clear, the Bible does not prohibit it necessarily because it's a waste of time, but because it is evil and wrong. It's not that it doesn't always work, it can. But the Bible leaves us in no doubt about the power and the reality of evil and makes it clear that it is entirely off limits for believers. Now, Saul knew this, and he presses on regardless. 
Now, an understanding of the geography here helps us a little bit see what, what, what this meant for, for Saul. Endor lay on the other side of the Philistine camp, and so for Saul to get there, he had to do a really dangerous sort of skirting around the edge of the Philistines. He put himself in a terrible risky position, but he was desperate to have some word of reassurance as he faced this uncertain future. And so he meets with this woman. He, she is initially cautious. He thinks it's some sort of government set up to expose the, Romanian, the, the uh, remaining mediums in the land. But then Saul does another remarkable thing. He promises that she will not be harmed. You see in verse 10, Saul swore to her, by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Now, it was the Lord's will. We said it. Remember that mediums would be punished. But here is Saul, in his hypocrisy, taking the Lord's name to promise her that she would be immune from the Lord's decrees. How ironic. So far as we can tell, this is the last time the name of the Lord is on the lips of Saul. And he uses God's name to go directly against God's will. It's a window into his heart. <clears throat> now, what happens next <clears throat> is very hard to understand. The medium does her thing, whatever her thing is, and to her evident surprise, a spirit comes forth. The, the fact that she is surprised suggests that maybe she's not always used to her routine working, or at least not working like this, but something happens. Somehow she knows that Saul is with her. Maybe she works this out. Maybe the Spirit reveals something to her. And it looks as if she can see the Spirit, but Saul cannot. And then it looks as if eventually Saul can hear what the Spirit says, but the woman cannot. Now, the question is, who is this Spirit? And there are two possibilities, really only two possibilities. Either this really is Samuel, and God in an unprecedented and unusual occasion has allowed this medium to successfully bring the spirit of Samuel back from the dead. <clears throat> Many people think that. The Bible, after all, calls him Samuel. But then on the other hand, why would God allow Samuel to speak to him in this way when he wouldn't answer him in any other way? Others think that this is a demonic imposter. Satan, after all, we know masquerades as an angel of light. There are hints of that perhaps here. The spirit comes up from the ground, hinting at the underworld perhaps. He, he says that soon you and your sons will be with me, and that included godly Jonathan. But then on the other hand, this spirit speaks accurately about what will happen to Saul, his death on the battlefield the next day. What do you think? I lean towards thinking this is a demonic imposter, but, but in a sense, it, it doesn't matter all that much. It's not really the point of the story. The point is to show just how far Saul has gone. He's, he's willing to flagrantly disobey God's law, misuse God's name, and get involved in this evil because his flight from God is so full and his desperation so great. Now, we may know that one of the, the sort of the liberal hallmarks in terms of its approach to the Bible is that it tends to discount the supernatural. It's, we, we, they, they read something like this or like Jesus casting out a demon. They say, well, we know better now. It doesn't really happen like that. But the Bible does not allow us that luxury. Many Christians have been sucked into that sort of way of thinking. So we play down the reality and the power of evil. But if we believe what the Bible tells us about God, and we do, we must believe what it tells us about evil 
and then demonic as well. And that means on the one hand, of course, that there are all sorts of things that we need to absolutely have nothing to do with, mediums and spiritists and horoscopes and tarot cards and Ouija boards and all of that sort of stuff. And notice this morning on the BBC website, a big article about the, the growth in spiritism amongst young millenniums in England. There's a darkness about all of this that we must flee from. Not that there's not a power in it, there is but it is not the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we need to see, however, is that there is no neutral ground when it comes to spiritual things. Saul was on his journey away from God. He was turning away from God. But it is not that when we do that, we turn to nothing. Oh, it might seem that way at the beginning. But as we step away from God, from an eternal's perspective, we find that there are other arms waiting for us, evil arms, to draw us in, to enslave us, to entrap us, to own us. And Saul shows us this, to turn from God is ultimately to turn towards the only other master we can have, Satan himself. So, despair, evil, and then death. Saul hears these words and he collapses as if he's already dead almost. The, the woman insists that he eats something. Eventually he does. He goes out. There's a little echo here or a preview, as it were, of, of Judas again. You remember after Judas had sat with the disciples at the Last Supper with Jesus, John tells us that he leaves to go out to betray Jesus, and John tells us that it was night. It's supposed to underline for us the awfulness, the darkness of what Judas was doing, but also the state of his soul. And here do you see that as they leave, they go into the night. The Bible is saying to us, Saul is now as dark as the night that he's walking into. Well, the author intersperses the story of David and Saul together. So, so it's in chapter 31 that the, the story is finally resolved. Let me read a little bit of it to you. The Philistines were fighting against Israel. This is the next day. Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fed slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw the sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Then therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons and his armor-bearer, all his men, on the same day together. Saul dies with his sons by his own hand. No crying out to God, no deathbed conversion, a godless death and a godless eternity. Saul's flight from God is complete. Now, this is difficult to watch, isn't it? 
and by the grace of God, we are allowed to watch this life unravel so that we might see here today in Lurgan what a dreadful thing it is to turn away from the living God. In his flight from God, Saul found himself desperate for a word of reassurance, but he found that if we turn away from God, there is no reassurance. He was desperate for help from beyond the grave, believing that it was from there that help would come. But you see, as the Bible says to us, don't be like that. It's not that it throws us back on our own resources. We must understand that today. Because we know that left to our own devices, we have no strength of our own. We would be like this in and of ourselves. We are made to realize that we must turn to the living God and especially to the one that he has given us in Jesus. You you see, the truth is, Saul sought for reassurance from beyond the grave. We have one who has come to us from beyond the grave. Not a demonic imposter, but a real, living, breathing Jesus. And he suffered, in a way, Jesus suffered what Saul did. Do you remember how our story started? Saul called upon God, there was no answer. There was no answer because Saul was a rebel and a fraud. And yet we know, don't we, that there was a time when, when Jesus called upon his father. And, and just like Saul, there was no answer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No answer comes. Why should that be? Jesus was not a rebel and a fraud. He was perfect in every way. A perfect son, a perfect servant, a perfect king. And yet he cries out and there is no answer. Why is this? Because at that moment, our sin was placed upon his shoulders. He he who knew no sin became sin for us. And God did not answer him then, but punished our sin in him so that we might not be punished and that he would forever answer us. Saul sought reassurance from beyond the grave, found only a message of death. We come to Jesus who has conquered the grave and we get a word of true reassurance. When Jesus comes to his followers from the empty tomb, what does he say to them? Peace be unto you. So you see how foolish it is to turn away from the living God. Some of us perhaps today at the point of big decisions. We've been wrestling with it. I know I should go this way, but this way is so attractive. Some of us looking at at the Lord and saying, is this for me? And maybe we walked in here today thinking, I don't think it is. Perhaps this is the last time I'll be through these doors. How foolish it is to turn away from the living God. Despair and evil and death awaits us. But do you see how marvelous it is to turn to him and to the one he has given us? To hear from him a message that will never change in 10,000 years, 
he will still say to us, peace be unto you. So, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Rather, cling to Him, run to Him, listen to Him today. Let's pray. Lord, in some ways we are horrified as we watch the unraveling of Saul's life. But we thank you for the grace that allows us to see it, that we might be saved from such a destiny. Help us, O Lord, not to turn away from you, but in every day in our thousands of successive moments to turn to you and your Son again and again and again. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.